Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. The Mishnah says that just like we make a blessing when something good happens in our lives, we thank Hashem, we also make a blessing when tragedy happens, when God forbid the ultimate tragedy when there's a death. We make a bracha, we make a blessing, we say, Baruch, blessed are you. We don't say, blessed are you, and for this wonderful news. You don't cry, you don't dance at a, at a funeral. It's, it's a tragedy, and you, it's reflected in the blessing. You say, you are the true judge, we accept God's judgment. We don't understand it, but we accept it. But we say, blessed are you. Baruch Atta, you're blessed. The same expression we say when we say, Baruch Atta, when you're blessing God for, for tremendously positive news. And the Talmud adds, you have to receive this with joy. The question is, how is it possible? How is it possible to receive pain and suffering and to accept it with joy? There is a, uh, was a rabbi in Eastern Europe, a famous rabbi. His name was Rabbi Beresh Meisels. He was a rabbi in Krakow and Warsaw. Before he was a rabbi, he was a dean at a yeshiva, and he was also a very wealthy business person. His business was that they used to chop wood, and they used to ferry the wood down the river. So I think in Germany, they would ferry the wood down the river, and it was a very risky, risky proposition. If everything went well, that's how they brought the wood downstream until it arrived at the port and were able to sell the wood. What if the river was very swollen because the melted snow? Well, many times the wood, the logs, didn't make it down the river. They just capsized and they, they would drown and that was it. You know, they cut the wood. There was a huge amount of wood and they were ferrying it down the river floating it down the river, and a catastrophe happened. All of the wood disappeared, sank, gone. So overnight, he turned from someone who grew up in a wealthy household, never had a care in his life. All of a sudden, he's bankrupt, he's in debt. How are they going to break the news to him? They were worried. How's he going to take it? This is a, hard, a terrible, terrible catastrophe. There was no insurance those days. It was a terrible catastrophe. So they asked his closest student in the yeshiva to break the news to him. So the student goes over to Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, I'm learning this passage in the Talmud, in the tractate brachas. The Talmud says that one has to bless Hashem for the bad news, just like you have to bless Hashem for the good news. And the, that's the mission. And the Talmud adds, you have to accept it with joy. Rabbi, I don't understand. It's impossible. How can a human being be thankful and grateful and thank Hashem and bless Hashem for the negative, just like you're blessing Hashem for the positive? And, to, and with joy? And he starts explaining it. It was very deep and very sharp. He starts explaining it. And he gets all worked up. And he says, so much so, that when something happens, you should even start dancing. He says, Rabbi, start dancing. <laughs> and he tells him what happened. He promptly fainted. <laughs> And with great difficulty, they revived him. When he realized that his whole life just turned around. <laughs> and what a tragedy just befallen him. From being wealthy on top of the world, he was suddenly impoverished and in debt. And he's, when he finally revived him, he says, you know, apparently this <laughs> passage is not as simple as I thought. <laughs> it's much more difficult than I thought. You know, it's one thing to... 
it's one thing to uh, intellectually, abstractly, but if God forbid when tragedy strikes and misfortune strikes and it hits home, then it's a very difficult thing. So how can a person receive the negativity, the tragedy, with joy? Everything that happens in life is leading to something positive. Everything has a positive purpose. God is good. God is essentially good. And everything that God does is good. For our good. It's all leading towards a positive purpose. And if you don't see it immediately, because it's difficult to see it when you're in the grinding process, when you're being ground up, it's very difficult. But that's faith. Faith is we believe and we know that God is good. And even if we don't understand it, we say, Baruch, blessed are you. We accept your justice. We don't understand. And it's a tragedy. And it's very painful. But we accept it because we know that if God is doing it, it's for our good, it's for our, our benefit. How do you deal with problems, human problems? What if a person is suffering? How can you tell a person, be joyous? It's one thing to be joyous if you have something to be joyous about. Things are going very smoothly and things are going very well. And everything is hunky-dory and everyone is healthy and everything is wonderful at home and and you have nachas from yourself, you have nachas from your spouse, you have nachas from your children, you have nachas from your business, okay? then you can, you can be joyous. It's easy to be joyous. But tell a person who's suffering, who's in pain. He has problems with his problems with shalom bayis, with problems at home, or problems with the children, or problems with health, or problems with parnasah. Tell them to be joyous. And he said that being joyous is an essential ingredient. You can't serve Hashem without being joyous. It's impossible to achieve the goal, to serve Hashem properly without the joy and the alacrity and the energy and the enthusiasm. You have to feel good. Without the joie de vivre, you have to feel good about life. You have to feel good about being in a good mood. You have to be uplifted. You have to be inspired. You have to feel confident. How can you tell a person who's suffering, who's in pain, to feel joyous? You know, when you take pure gold and you put it through the fire, what happens? It's strengthened. It's refined. It's purged of any stains. And what comes out is pure, pure gold. So when there's a rich inner life that's buried that's submerged, that's waiting to emerge. And as a result of that being squeezed, being crushed, the heart being broken, all that inner beauty emerges and surfaces. It's not about the pain and suffering. It's really, it's only someone who Hashem loves. It's only someone who God truly loves. And God really has faith in and believes and trusts and Hashem wants to elevate to the ultimate good to the greater good that person is put through is put through the squeezer and eventually the Torah says eventually when Mashiach will come then we'll see the goodness now we don't see the goodness now all we experience is the hatred. We experience the, the, uh, the pain, the suffering. 
the negative. But when Mashiach will come, we'll see the goodness. The goodness will emerge. The goodness will become obvious. Pain and suffering refines a person. It helps you overcome arrogance. And it helps you discover your ability to love. It helps you to discover your soul. Those parts of you that no one can take away. No pain and suffering, not, nothing. Those parts of you that can never really be afflicted. No matter what is happening to you externally, you can be free, vibrant, and healthy, spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, psychologically healthy. And it helps you develop and mature and ripen and it helps you crack through the shell and allow that inner core, that inner beauty to emerge and surface. But he's saying it's not only that it's a means to an end. It's the ends like justify the means. The end is good and the ends justify the means even though the means are painful. But he's saying here that there's actually a closeness. Ironically, there's a closeness. A person who is touched by tragedy, a person who is touched by pain and suffering, if he opens himself up to it, he actually feels a closeness. Feels the gentle touch of God. Because while we're suffering, and we believe and have faith that the suffering is for our good, and it says those who God loves and cares about, those are the ones that he, he rebukes. Those are the ones that he looks out for. If a person is not living up to his potential, if a person is asleep in life, spiritually asleep, if a person is lost morally, ethically, and spiritually, because God cares about him, it's like a parent. A parent disciplines his own child. They don't discipline a stranger. I think, what, do I, what do I care about the stranger? But my own child misbehaves. You care and you, you discipline them because you care about them. So it's precisely because God cares so much about us that if we're asleep spiritually and we're not living up to our potential and we're perhaps doing things that are actually self-destructive and counterproductive, Hashem wakes us up. It's actually an act of love. And there's a gentleness because Hashem is with us during that experience and Hashem wants to make sure that we can handle it. He doesn't give us something we can't handle. He doesn't give a person uh, an experience they can't handle. And you can feel a closeness to Hashem. May we never know of this experience. But people who have this experience can tell you that you feel at that moment a closeness to Hashem that you can't explain perhaps even more so than when things are going well. It's a hidden closeness. It's a very deep, very intimate type of closeness. Because there's a gentleness. Hashem is making sure, there's a caring about you that you feel. Hashem wants to make sure you can handle it. And, and, and there's a certain very gentle intimacy that, that you can only experience in those moments of tragedy, of pain and suffering. So he says that this, this, the, 
level of pain and suffering comes from the deeper level of Hashem, comes from the hidden level of Hashem, from a more intimate part of Hashem. And because it's so intimate, that's why it cannot be revealed. That's why we call it the hidden world. Just like within a person. The parts that we could reveal, the parts that we can com- could communicate, we can communicate and talk about things that are very superficial, that really don't matter. Try talking about something that really matters, that we care very deeply about, that we feel very intimate. It's very hard to communicate, even with ourselves. It's hard to put into words. You're at a loss of words. Something that's very deep, you can't put into words. It's very vague. It's a very deep feeling, but it's very vague and fuzzy and unclear. And the same is with Hashem. The parts of our life that are clear and clear-cut and are obviously good and self-evidently good, in a certain sense, they come from a very superficial place. The parts within us that are very dark and concealed and vague and fuzzy and it's unclear and creates all sorts of confusion, the truth is that that comes from a much, much deeper place, a much more intimate place within Hashem. So what it means is actually that Hashem, that we're elevated, that Hashem is speaking to us in a much more sophisticated language. He's not speaking to us on a childish level. Everything is very clear. When Hashem starts talking to us on a very unclear, vague, fuzzy, nebulous language, Hashem is really sharing with us and talking to us from a very intimate place, from His intimate place. So the, the uh, pain and suffering comes from the higher level of Hashem, the higher level, the two first letters of Hashem's name, which is, which is the hidden part of Hashem. And there's an intimacy and there's a closeness that a person who's open to it can feel to Hashem. Ironically, you would think that you would become very distant from Hashem when tragedy happens to you. On the contrary. Those who are open, whose hearts are open, you feel an intimacy and a closeness to Hashem that you can't, you can't describe. But paradoxically, ironically, in that negative experience, you feel that Hashem is with you. You feel so close to Hashem. You feel even closer to Hashem than when, when good things happen to you. So even the pain and suffering itself, it's not just that it's a means to an end, there's a bigger picture, and everything Hashem does is for the good, even though we don't realize it, we don't see it, and that's our faith. But here he's saying something deeper, that even in the pain and suffering itself, there's an intimacy, there's a closeness to Hashem that you can't describe. But you feel very, very intimate with Hashem. Hashem is elevating you, Hashem is speaking to you in a very sophisticated language, a very high language. And he feels that you that he could speak to you in that language. They can communicate with you on, on a deeper level, from, the, from the, the hidden world, from a more intimate part of Hashem. And that's why, that's why a Jew could accept and thank Hashem, say, Baruch, blessed are you, Hashem. And as the Gemara says, receive it with joy. It's not the joy and the suffering, God forbid. God forbid. But it's the joy of the closeness of Hashem. So externally, materially, a person is suffering. You're lacking in something material. Whether financial or whatever challenge you may be facing. But since you realize that this suffering comes from Hashem, directly from Hashem, and actually comes from a deeper place within Hashem, from Hashem's, it's a more intimate revelation. Hashem is revealing a more intimate side of Him. And that's why since it's so intense and so powerful, 
it has to come down in the, the skies. It's like a blessing in the skies. And it comes down in a very vague, fuzzy way, in an unclear way, and to us it appears as pain and suffering. But since you feel, you sense Hashem's intimacy, that makes you feel, that gives you joy. You feel Hashem's closeness. You feel He's so close to Hashem. You're closer to Hashem in tragedy than you are in goodness. When something good happens, obviously good, therefore you feel good about that closeness. Not that it doesn't bother you, the pain doesn't bother you, but you, you rejoice in the intimacy, in the closeness that you feel to Hashem, that you got much closer to Hashem, that Hashem trusts you enough, Hashem cares about you enough and trusts you enough to speak to you in this higher level and to relate to you in a much higher level and a much deeper level. And therefore, He's speaking to you in a different language. Not a language you expect, not a language that you're used to. And it's very hard to decipher the language, but you realize that Hashem is speaking to you. And Hashem trusts you, and you feel that intimacy, and you feel that caring, and you feel that closeness, and that warmth. And you rejoice in it. So if you rejoice in Hashem, that means that Hashem is more primary to you than anything external. So the reward will be measure for measure, will be commensurate. That Mashiach will come, you will bask in the glory when Hashem's name, the revelation of godliness, will emerge and surface and, and be, become evident. And you'll be conscious of it, you will rejoice. You will, that will be your reward. Because just like in this, during the exile, during the time before Mashiach comes, when godliness is hidden and concealed, you didn't take things at face value. You look deeper, and you realize the hidden depth, the hidden good. So too, when that will come, emerge out of hiding, you will also appreciate it. Because you define yourself by spirituality. So a world which, where godliness becomes self-evident, you will luxuriate in that world. You will thrive in that world. You will flourish in that world. It will make you the happiest person. But a person whose whole identity was material, his whole identity, he has an external, superficial identity. His whole identity is ego. What he has in his bank account and how many cars he has and just what he possesses and what he carries, that's his whole identity. He identifies himself by his externals, through, through material things. In a world which is, becomes essentially godly, the person will be lost. Such a person will not appreciate it. Where are, where are my toys? Where are my... Suddenly it will be completely devalued. Everything that he invested his life in. Everything that he defined himself. In this world, it could be on the tops of the Forbes 400. But Mashiach will come. And everyone's priority will be... We'll have, we'll have our priorities straight. And godliness will become evident and self-tangible. He could be the biggest pauper in the world. The suddenly from king of the world, the most powerful, the mightiest, the wealthiest, the most celebrated. He'll discover he's absolute nothing. Meaningless. Absolutely no one even looks at him. He's nothing. He's the poorest of the poor, the biggest pauper. But the person who identified himself by spirituality and godliness in the world of Mashiach will discover that he's the richest. He will thrive. This is the greatest reward, being close to Hashem. That is the biggest riches. That's what you have internally. No one can take that away from you. So it's measure for measure, it's commensurate. Because he focused on the inner, even while he was suffering, even while living in a world that defines itself by externals and materialism, he focused on the inner. So when Mashiach will come, the inner will become most prominent. That will be his greatest reward. That will be his biggest riches. He'll feel justly rewarded. There's a famous story. It was a, a 
person was traveling and he saw a commotion. A huge commotion in the middle of the streets. In the marketplace. This is what happened. A person fainted. This is what happened. The person collected a lot of money from his friends and he came to the marketplace to buy wholesale. To bring back home, he'll be able to sell retail. He'll be able to pay everyone their debts. He borrowed a huge amount of money. And he lost his wallet. Comes to the marketplace, he realized he lost his wallet. He yelled out and he fainted. And as hard as they tried to revive him, they couldn't revive him. Couldn't revive him. The moment they revived him, you heard he lost his wallet, he fainted, he fainted again. As hard as they tried. So this, this rabbi walks by and he says, Tell him he didn't lose his wallet. Next time he wakes up, tell him he didn't lose his wallet. So you wake up, he says, Oh, you didn't lose your wallet. Good news, we have your wallet. Oh, thank God. And within a few minutes, someone comes by. I found your wallet here with all the money intact. Turn to the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, what are you, a prophet? What are you, a divine inspiration? How did you know? The rabbi says, no, I don't have divine inspiration. It's very simple. God doesn't give a person a test they can't handle. When I saw that this person couldn't handle it, he simply couldn't handle it. <laughs> Every time he heard, he just collapsed. I said, this is not a test for him. Can't handle it. That's exactly what happened. I found this well. So when you realize how custom-made it is, how Hashem is with us, and Hashem, Hashem there's a gentleness, and there's a, a shearing of intimacy. You feel an intimacy with Hashem that you can't ordinarily feel. Yet at the same time, there's a mitzvah in the Torah that a Jew has to pray to God. We pray to God that things should be better. God forbid a person is suffering. There's an obligation. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs. There's an obligation to pray. Please heal me. And we don't say, wait, wait a minute. Isn't that a contradiction to faith? Here we just learn that faith means that we both trust, we have faith in Hashem, that everything that God does is for the good and, and it's for our good. And He actually even comes from a much deeper place and it's, it's an intimacy we're sharing with Hashem on a much deeper level than when things are overtly good. And here we're praying to God, please heal, please heal me. What do you mean heal me? Things are good. If we don't see the good, it means it's even a greater good. And you have to receive it with joy. And you have to bless God. So what do you mean heal me? And if there was any other way to achieve and to accomplish this good, without the pain and suffering, even without our prayer, does a child have to pray to a parent, parent, please feed me? The parent feels the pain of the hunger pains of the child more, more, more than the child. So if there was any other way of accomplishing, achieving what needs to be accomplished for the benefit of the child without undergoing the operation, even without our prayer, I think you have to pray. So what's the point of prayer? Obviously there's no other way to accomplish this without this, this painful procedure. But if you were to realize the bigger picture, you would realize that it's all for the good. And this is the only way. So, so, what do you mean there's a mitzvah to pray? What do you mean heal me? What do you mean everything is wonderful? <laughs> you believe in God, you have faith in God. Whatever God does is for the good. You receive it with joy. You feel that intimacy. And you bless God. So why are we praying? So what's the meaning of prayer? What are you praying for? It's impossible. There's no other way to do this. And the answer is, in prayer, a Jew is asking Hashem to do the impossible.
God could do the impossible. We are asking Hashem to do the impossible. Yes, we know it's impossible. There is no other way to accomplish the greater good without doing this inconvenience, without undergoing this painful, this painful experience. But we turn to Hashem and we say, you have, you're undefined. There are no limits. You can do whatever you want. You created the world. You're not straitjacketed by the universe. You created the universe with all the rules and laws in the universe. So yes, by every single rule and law in the universe, this is impossible. So, what's God for if not to do the impossible? That's why we're praying to God. We don't pray to angels. We don't pray to anyone else. Only to God. Because only God can do the impossible. And when you pray to Hashem, you're connecting with the essence of God. When you're connecting with the essence of God, all bets are off. The impossible could happen. And we turn to Hashem and say, whatever you wanted to accomplish through the Holocaust. Why did you accomplish it in the positive? How? It's impossible? Okay, so you're God. Figure it out. If something spectacularly good will happen to you, maybe you'll accomplish the same thing. We don't understand. We don't begin to understand. We don't begin to fathom what's going on. It's so much deeper, it's so much beyond our understanding. But because we have faith in God, and because we know it comes from God, we turn to Hashem and say, listen Hashem, you can do the impossible. So, it's not enough that the end is good, we also want the means to the end to be good. It should, the means should be pleasant, tangibly good, in ways that we, human beings, finite, limited human beings, the children that we are, we should understand that it's good. We should see that it's good. It should be tangibly good. And we know that's the power of prayer. When you truly pray, and you mean it, and you truly trust in Hashem, genuine trust in Hashem. As the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe once said, he says, you want to know what trust is? Even if you know you're expecting a huge check, expecting a lot of money, you can't compare the knowledge of it to the tangible when you're actually holding it in your hand. When someone delivers the money to you and you're holding it in your hand, the certainty and the joy that you have by holding it in your hand, even though you know, you know it's coming, it's not the same. And you feel it and you hold it and it's in your pocket. Now the joy is complete. He says, you want to know what trust is? Trust is that when your pockets are empty, you have such trust in Hashem that the money will be there. That when the money comes, actually comes, it's in your pocket, it doesn't add one iota to, to your feeling of certainty and joy. You were so certain and you were so joyful before the money came that when the money came, it makes sense. Yeah, of course, I had it already. It's in my pocket. It doesn't add it. If you really have such a level of trust, the money will be there. <laughs> this is for real. This is, not the, this is not the game. If you really have such a level of trust in Hashem, such a level of confidence and trust in Hashem, in Hashem's goodness, and Hashem can do anything, and you pray with such sincerity and such fervor, then miracles will happen, the impossible will happen, and the money will be there. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. <laughs>